We're going to be talking about the house of prayer. This thing's so fancy. Okay, yes, very fancy. Okay, all right. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you because you are a God who loves your children and you answer our prayers. And God, we thank you that in prayer we can come to you and encounter your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, it's a privilege for me to be here. Last time I was at Renewal was 2019, before COVID, and I did a retreat, uh, and then haven't seen you guys in a long time. How many people were at that retreat? Raise your hand. Okay. Okay, so, you know, there's been a lot of change at Renewal and exciting things happening. Um, so if you've ever heard me before, uh, you, it'll be like, you're like, oh, didn't he preach this message before? Yes. <laughs> probably have, have preached this message. I want to talk to you about this idea of house of prayer. And uh, where does that come from? Well, first of all, it comes from Jesus, who in Matthew 21, as well as in other gospel, uh, it says here in verse 12 and 13, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the ta- uh, uh, tables and money changers and benches of those selling doves. Then he says in verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making a den of robbers. You know, sometimes uh, at GCC in Philadelphia, Grace Covenant Church in Philadelphia, probably every like once or twice a year, sometimes three times a year, uh, what I do is I preach a really short message, uh, and everybody loves short messages, amen? You know, I go like 15 minutes, and everybody's like, praise the Lord. It's the best message I've ever heard. Uh, And uh, after I preach a short message, though, uh, we go into a long time of prayer, Uh, probably like 20 minutes, 30 minutes, uh, 40 (laughs) minutes. Uh, And what I tell my congregation is I say, hey, you know, we have a lot of, you know, prayer meetings at GCC, and not all of you can come because you're too busy. So today, we're bringing the prayer meeting to you, you know. And uh, it's funny that, you know, most of the guys are used to it now, but I remember when I started doing it, uh, how, like, people came to church, and when we prayed more than 10 minutes at church, I mean, this was literally 20, 30-minute prayer meeting, people would leave kind of offended. They'll be like, I didn't come to church to pray. You know, think about that, (laughs) okay? I didn't come to church to pray 20, 30 minutes, it's not going to happen here, so relax, amen? All of you are like, are we going to pray for 20, 30 minutes? No, probably like 15, okay? Uh, so, you know, they would be kind of slightly offended, like, I didn't come to church to pray, but actually, one of the ways that Jesus described the church was a house of prayer. In fact, I would like to tell you that this whole, oh, this whole idea of, uh, you know, long sermons, and I think teaching is great, you got to know the Bible, uh, is actually uh, more of a newer phenomenon in the church service. Uh, in fact, in the olden days, Greek Orthodox as well as you know, uh, Catholic Church, they did a lot more liturgy than a sermon exposition. And uh, if you look into Jewish history, you find that the temple was a house of prayer. People went there and they you know, uh, actually sacrificed animals. And as the burnt offering and incense rose, it was a symbol of a house of prayer. So actually, the temple itself was used more to go and pray than to hear a exposition. Now, again, I'm totally into exposition. Uh, if, if it wasn't, then I wouldn't have a job, amen? Uh, so I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's actually one of the symbolic 
ways of looking at the church is a house of prayer. But isn't it true that it's actually hard to pray? Uh, sometimes it's easier to sit here and listen to a sermon, which you're going to be listening to, uh, than to really spend time in prayer. Because when you start praying, you're, you feel like you have to activate kind of your spiritual heart. All right? Well, where did this concept come from that, as Jesus said, you know, our house is a house of prayer? Now, we know that Jesus said this because the temple was being used to make money instead of these sacrificial animals being, you know, purchased in the right price and the right way with reverence so that they can sacrifice and spend that, you know, as the incense were arising in time of prayer. People were making money, and they were coming into the, into the temple thinking about how they could actually prosper. And so Jesus says, this is a house of prayer, but you have made it into a place of business. Well, this idea of house of prayer comes from Isaiah 56, verse 7. And in Isaiah 56, verse 7, it says, these, and it's actually talking about non-Jews, foreigners, these people, I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer their burnt offerings and sacrifice will be accepted on my altar. So actually God said, you know, those, not only Jews, but those foreigners who understand there is one God, one creator, were allowed to come into the temple. Uh, there was a section for them where they could do burnt offering, and it was their house of prayer. Okay, And Jesus links that to kind of the church and says the church is a house of prayer. And we see kind of this evidence all throughout Scripture because, you know, we find that, okay, we find that throughout book of Acts, the church understood that it needed to pray. So when you look in the book of Acts, you'll see the church gather. Yes, there are times that they listen to a sermon, like in Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a sermon, right? And But many times you see the picture of the church praying, right? And here's one, you know, uh, moment. It says, they all joined together in Acts 1, verse 14, and, and joined together constantly in prayer, along with women and Mary and mother and Jesus, uh, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And then Paul, you know, I mean, you read Paul's letters in many places, but here's one in Ephesians chapter 6, after he talks about the spiritual battle, spiritual warfare, he says, and putting on the armor of God, he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, and pray in the spirit uh, on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Then he says, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Uh, when you look at the uh, letters of Paul, there are so many times that Paul is declaring, exhorting, asking for prayer. And if you follow the church history, you can really say the church of Jesus Christ was birthed out of a prayer movement. The church of Jesus Christ prayed when they gathered together. Uh, and in many ways, this symbolic example or phrase of the house of prayer should be the church of Christ. And today, uh, I'm going to just kind of talk about prayer and give you just a simple acronym that I use to pray. And I'm sure many of you know it if you've been in the church world for a while. Here's some quotes. 
Uh, E.M. Bound wrote like volumes on prayer. He was a uh, author probably around uh, kind of the Civil War period. And in some of uh, his, in one of his books, he says this, Paul prayed day and night. Daniel's three daily prayers took time away from important interests. David's morning, noon, night praying was doubtless on many occasions very long and involved. While we have no specific account of the time these Bible saints spent in prayer, the indications are they devoted much time to prayer and on occasions long seasons of praying were their custom. And you see this actually even in the Old Testament and in the church history where people actually dedicated seasons of prayer. You know, they would say, you know, the summer I'm going to dedicate myself to prayer. You know, in the winter, I'm dedicating myself to prayer. As you remember from Sunday school, if you've been in the church world for a long time, Daniel prayed morning, noon, and night. And those, you know, uh, designated time was symbolizing that his heart was a heart of prayer for the whole day. Okay? Uh, And then, you know, a famous leadership guru in the past, I think he was a... uh, kind of leader of, uh, you know, missions to China, Aswell Sanders said this, there is no way to learn to pray except by praying, okay? Now, let's say today, this morning, I preached the best message expositionally, you know, just in all ways on prayer. you still not learn how to pray. You'll get some knowledge, but the best way to learn how to pray is to catch it, is to pray, is to give yourself time to go before the Lord. And uh, I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Sometimes when you pray and people say, let's pray, it's like you're like, I prayed all my prayer. And you look at your time and it's only one minute, you know. But you felt like you prayed for like an hour, all right. But I tell you the other way, when it's in the Holy, when it's in the Spirit and your heart is right, Sometimes you're crying out in desperation, and you think you only prayed a minute, but you've actually prayed an hour. The only way you learn how to pray, as Oswald Sander was saying, is to pray. So hopefully, my sermon will go short uh, by, you know, God's miraculous power, uh, and we can pray a little bit. Because what happens is when we ask you to pray, what's going to happen is you're going to resist. Because there's not many of us come into, believe it or not, on Sunday ready to engage the Lord in prayer. I mean, let's think about that a little bit. You know, some of us come to Sunday to hear a message, go through the worship, and move on to do what we need to do on Sunday. So we want to, I just want to encourage you, uh, we're going to try to pray by praying. Here's some quotes about uh, prayer. This comes from me, amen? (laughs) These are my quotes, okay? I'm sure I copied it from somewhere, but it comes from me, okay? Uh, It says this, I believe prayer is more about who we are encountering than what we are asking. We're going to talk about that a little bit. You know, prayer is fun and exciting and powerful Not because we could get something from God, and believe it or not, God does want to give and give and give. But when we start praying and we start encountering the God of Scripture, the Creator God, the God who loves you, when you start encountering Him in your prayers, that's when prayer gets addictive. That's when prayer 
gets exciting. Okay? It is more about, uh, and English is bad, that's how you know it's, it's me, okay? It is more about, are we spending, it is more about spending time in God's presence, intimacy, than about, are you getting answers from God? And, you know, a lot of times we think, you know, pr- my prayer is powerful because I pray for this sick person and they got well. You know, or I prayed that girl will like me and she did, Amen. Uh, or that guy will ask me, and he did, right? On Christmas, amen? I gave you my heart, and I don't know what you did with it, but, you know, the whole thing. Like, you think it's prayer is powerful by the answer, but actually, as I said already, the most powerful prayer is the encounter with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father. It is more about God moving our heart than God moving our mountains. Same concept. Prayer is the place of intimacy with God. We bring the word of God into prayer and find ourselves in the throne room of God's presence. Again, it's the same emphasis. We love to pray. You will enjoy prayer. You will want to pray more when you start encountering Jesus in your prayer. Yes, God does answer prayers. Yes, God is fine with us asking. Yes, through our prayers, God can move mountains. But really, the foundation of prayer is spending time with God and letting his presence and grace flow over you. It is entering into the throne room of the Father. As it says in Hebrews chapter 4, Verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he is without sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. All right, um, we're going to look at this, ad, uh, this acronym, and I, I'm sure, again, if you're in the church world, you have seen this acronym, and that is ACTS, right? And that is starting off your prayer in adoration. And in a lot of ways, the band already did that for us, but you adore God in prayer, and then you confess, right? And we'll talk about that. And then you pause to give thanksgiving, and then you ask and you uh, ask God for requests and supplication. And so, you know, even if you think about your prayer life uh, alone or, you know, corporately, if you just go through the four stages, minute each, you've already increased your prayer life by many times, okay? So adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, that's the acronym ACTS. But most of us don't like to start at adoration. We like to start with supplication. I mean, many of us, we really start going into prayer because we need something from God. Lord, I need a breakthrough. You know, I, I, I need to get married. You know, uh, I need to have this. I need a better career. I need my mom and dad. They're struggling. They may even get a divorce. Lord, I need help. And we go for supplication. And again, let me just tell you, nothing wrong with that. In fact, the Bible talks about God the Father saying you can ask. When do not be anxious about anything in Philippians by prayer and petition, you know, present your request to God. So God's not offended by us asking, but I want to tell you, if we, if that is all our prayer, then we're like, I mean, I don't want to insult anybody, then we're like a child. You know, babies, they cry and they're crying because they want their diaper changed or they're too hot or they're too cold, 
right? But as we mature, we want to spend that presence with God, and it starts with adoration. So it's acts, not S-A-C-T, sect, or something like that, okay? So we're going to look at acts, all right? Let's talk about the first, uh, adoration. Adoration, right? In Nehemiah chapter 1, we see Nehemiah, and you should read this, uh, you know, outline of Nehemiah's chapter. He had a, a great task to accomplish, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down. And as he prays about this incredible, impossible task, he starts his prayer with adoration. And I just you know, took one of the verse here. It says, then, Nehemiah is praying, I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah starts with focusing on who God is to him, how great he is, how powerful he is. You know, uh, as the worship team try to bring us there, we adore, you know, and we worship him and how great and mighty he is. And this is very, I think, important as we come to God in prayer. You know, I'm picking out uh, different uh, passages, but it's all over the Bible. In Psalm uh, verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 9, says, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, right? In Exodus chapter 15, verse 1, it says, who among the God is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, right? And I want to suggest to you, when you start in prayer, I know you have a prayer request. I know you have troubles and burdens and anxiety, and that might have brought you into prayer. But before you even go there, spend some time declaring how great God is. Right? And the, here, the more you know Scripture, the more you know the names of God, the more you understand who our Father in Heaven is, I'm going to tell you, the more powerful your prayer will be. Right? So, you know, this is what I try to do. Um, you know, sometimes I spend time before I start praying just declaring who God is. And again, if you understand these terminologies, you know, theologically and inside the scripture, it's actually a very powerful experience. You know, many times I declare, Lord, you're king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're majesty. Lord, you are almighty God. You're savior, you know, prince of peace, alpha, omega, radiant one, lion of Judah, ageless one, right? Everlasting to everlasting, Emmanuel, God almighty, yet you are with us you are the light, the truth, the way. You are amazing. You're wonderful. You're counselor. Okay? And I know these are just terms, but when it becomes a place of worship and adoration to God, we start to actually experience him as who he is. Right? A lot of times what happens is we come into prayer and we start with supplication. And it is, Lord, I need this. I need help with this. Lord, my my child is sick, and all these God wants to hear. But we start listing the laundry list of what we need, and what happens is that laundry list feels bigger than the God we are approaching, right? Not only that, sometimes, even though I, I grew up in a uh, kind of a time where, you know, we'll talk about it, repentance was very important. It is, biblically. 
A lot of times we go to God with failures and mistakes and, and things that we did wrong or the addiction is coming back and we're going to God in confession. But in the midst of it, sometimes we feel like that sin that we can't seem to beat easily is greater than the God that saved us and defeated sin, Satan, and death. Amen? Let's look to one another and say, Amen. All right? Amen. All right. Some of you are not listening to me. <laughs> You're like, I'm not saying that. Look to one another and say, Amen. All right. Woo, more people are listening, but not all of you. Okay? But you, got, you have to follow me in this. I, I did this. I think I do this everywhere. So you, if you were at the retreat, we did this. I want you to take out your thumb, please. I'm from the front here to the back. I know it's cold. Man, it's cold in here. <laughs> I feel like I'm asking you to rub each other, but some of you might not like that, okay? So take out your thumb, all right, and close one eye, your left eye, all right? Now, take that thumb, please follow me, or this is ridiculous, okay? And close one eye, and then bring your thumb as close as you can to your eye without poking it. Really, really close, super close, all right? Really close. Keep it there for a second. One. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Is your thumb bigger than my head? Yeah, it is, right? But it's not, amen? All right, let me bring that out. Now, you're like, what did he do that, All right? Your thumb is not bigger than my head. I got, I got a, I'm a Korean guy. I got a big head, amen? I don't know. Like, I can tell you stories about how big my head is, all right? Well, I'll tell you one. Freshman year in high school, they didn't have a helmet in the football team that fit my head, okay? They gave, I, I needed an extra large, but they gave the extra large to another Asian guy. Right? And I had to wear a large, and it was so, anyway, what am I talking about? Amen. Come with me. So why would you, why did I do that? Well, this is what happens without adoration in prayer. It's like, oh, man, I have so much trouble. I don't know what career. Is this how I'm going to live the rest of my life? You know, how come that person doesn't like me? You know, what's going on? And we actually block the glory of God. You know, my sin, we start talking about it so much, becomes bigger then we are able to see who God is. So personally, I generally like to start an adoration where I'm spending time declaring who God is. Lord, you saved my soul. Lord, your sin set me free. Lord, you are, you are King of kings, Lord of lords, majesty, almighty God. You, you are Prince of Peace, Alpha and Omega. You're the Lion of Judah. You're Ageless One. You're everlasting to everlasting. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You are a counselor. And as sometimes it's through a song, and just sometimes it's just even focusing on one aspect of who my Father in Heaven is. Lord, you are Almighty God. You are all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing. I want to tell you, when you go into this adoration in prayer, sometimes you don't need to go anywhere else in prayer, right? People pray in different ways. Some people pray out loud, you know, and uh, I think here at Radiance, I believe you're going to slowly learn that culture. Some people pray really quietly. At my house, I pray out loud. Like when me and my wife prays, I'm like, Walking around, like sometimes I'm hitting the wall, Lord, breakthrough. But my wife, she's like Presbyterian-like. She just kneels and she's really quiet, like just doesn't say anything. Right? Every once in a while she'll go, Lord. <laughs> While I'm like kicking the wall going, Lord, 
break down the wall. And, and then, you know, and so sometimes I have to leave the room because she makes me want to become more Presbyterian. Nothing wrong with Presbyterian, okay? I, I grew up Presbyterian, okay? It's different style. I, one of the ways I love praying is walking. And around my neighborhood, I start walking. And of course, when I start walking and praying, I have a lot of burdens. Lord, I pray for my daughter who lives in New York, where Satan also lives. <laughs> All right. Lord, I pray for my son who is now in Detroit and, you know, he's really stressed. I pray for my youngest son who's, in, you know, who's a senior in college and he has a girlfriend. Oh, Lord, are they going to make it, you know? Yeah, I go in there with requests. But one of the reasons I like walking around my neighborhood and praying is I, as I walk, I start, my neighbor is very, I mean, it's very woody actually around my, I love walking and praying around my neighborhood. I start like, stop thinking about all my requests and I start looking like at the sky and I go, wow, that's, I'm not very, very descriptive with my vocabulary, okay? So I, I look at the sky, I go, wow, that's big. <laughs> blue or the cloud looks cool and it's interesting that sometimes as I look into the sky and just look into just the wooded area in my uh, in, in my walk I just stop thinking about all my requests and the need for my guidance and I say God you're beautiful you're amazing I love you I'll tell you, when I get lost in worshiping God in nature, it's like my problems become so small compared to the Father in heaven. And I want to tell you, you know, I don't get answers. I don't know what's going to happen with my children. I don't know what's going to happen at my church. I don't know what's going to happen through all this. But when I put God where he ought to be and I'm adoring him, it some, it really doesn't matter. Because though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he will be with me. And when you encounter God in adoration, man, you want to keep going. there. That's why I love walking and praying. Figure out a way that helps you adore and worship God in prayer. Because many times, I'm going to tell you, it puts the other things in place and yeah, I've had answers to prayer where God said, no, it's time for you to move. It's time for you to talk to that person. This is what the vision that I have for that person. I've, I've had moments of answers, but I would trade that for the encounter in him in adoration. Hopefully the other, other portion will not go as this long or else it's going to be a long sermon. Amen? Adoration. When the worship team is taking you in the place of worship, it's not, they're not just filling a gap so that the sermon could be preached. When they're taking you into the place of worship, and man, worship sounds good, amen? Look to one another and say, <laughs> look to one another and say amen, please. All right, okay. Oh man, we got to keep doing this here. All right, well, when they're taking you into adoration, I'm going to tell you right now, when you and your heart is ready, and you sing with the heart of incense rising in prayer, sometimes that's all you need. You know, that's all you need. Second is this idea of confession. 
In 1 John chapter 1 through 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. In James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, right? This ideal, after you adore him, as you're adoring him, so you have to look in your heart. Is there something that's hindering you? Is there something that's blocking you? Is there, we'll talk about, is there a sin? Is there an obstacle? Is there sin that you're entangled in or other things that is hindering you? Scripture says, confess, come to God, be honest, and say, Lord, this stuff is really clogging up my heart of worship. I, I feel like you're far. I feel like when I'm praying, I'm trying to adore you, but I feel like I'm just praying to a wall or I'm just praying into the air. What is going on? You know, uh, here, definitely, these passages are talking about repentance, and I believe that. But I think first start of repentance is being honest, being real. Where are you? With God, right? Where are you really with God? You know, we, we come and we show our best, but where are you really with God? This morning, are you ready to worship? Are you ready to pray? If I stop my sermon right now, it'll be a miracle. I'm not stopping, okay? And we start praying, are you ready? Or if you're honest, you're not ready. Something's not all there. What is that you need to confess? Maybe if truth be told, you're too busy for God. This is the only time you think about God. You got here this morning, you're kind of in worship, and right now you're slowly warming up. You're like, oh, yeah, I think I kind of, I'm getting into God because your life is too busy. You need to confess and go, God, like, I've been busy. I've been neglecting you. Maybe God's not your priority. It's just your religion, you know? You do the Sunday thing or the small group thing. But Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday is your thing. And you need to be honest with God because he knows. He knows that you have wrong priority. You can hide it from your small group leader. You can hide it from your mom and dad who may be super into Christianity. But God knows what your priority and you know. And maybe you need to say, God, I, I need to cast down my idols. Maybe you're living in sin. I, you know, I, I really thank God for those of you that's in this room and you know you have a sin problem. Meaning, I'm glad you're here. Not that you have a sin problem, amen? I'm glad you're here. And you need to go to God and say, God, I'm struggling with this sin. Or you have a hard heart, or an unforgiving heart. Or you are hopeless. You're in this room, but you, you don't have hope about your life, about this hope of Jesus Christ. One of the best things to gain out of a Sunday worship is at least for this hour plus that you have, that you are honest with God. You say, Lord, last week was terrible. I don't feel like worshiping. It is too cold in this room. <laughs> like, 
why? This is California. What's wrong here, you know? Is there something for you to confess? Are you coming to Sunday worship honest before God? It's funny, isn't it? Because in Genesis, you know, uh, chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sins, right, it says God came and he says, where are you? Where are you? And we all know if you've been in the church world, it's not like God was playing hide and go seek going like, where are you? Like, where are you really with me? No, it's the, it, they were behind the rock. That's my imagination. And God is right there behind the rock going, Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? He knows where you are before him. And the first step of breakthrough prayer is that you and I am honest before God right now. Where are you with the Lord? Really, where are you with God as you head into Christmas? You have wrong priorities? Maybe you're struggling with it. But the first step is to say, God, I'm struggling with my priorities. Lord, I'm struggling with my busyness. Lord, I'm here, but I'm actually thinking about what I'm going to do afterwards. Lord, this guy is yelling too much. I don't know what you're thinking, amen? But I'll guarantee you, if you have a moment of honesty, it'll take you a long way in restoring your relationship with God. Or maybe there's sin in your life. Remember this, as Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. There is no sin that the blood of Christ, the forgiveness shown on the cross, cannot forgive. If you confess your sins... He is faithful to forgive us our sins. Psalm 103 verse 12 says this, As far as east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He wants to restore you. I share this illustration all the time. You know, in Luke chapter 17, the prodigal son, you know, the younger son, as he took the inheritance of the father and went back went away and lived a wild living, right? And, you know, it's really funny how when we do skits in our youth group, we, we show all the wild living that they, and all the youth kids love doing the wild living. You guys ever see in a church retreat, like all the kids, they just, somehow they know how to drink and act crazy, and, you know, smoke like a bomb, you know, or something like that, or pills, I guess, nowadays, I don't know, you know, wild living, you know, and all this stuff. What am I talking about? All right, I get lost in my own sermon, amen? Okay, anyway, so, but, but what happens is he realizes, oh my gosh, I lost everything, and he's coming back home. And if you know the prodigal son story, he's coming back, and he's rehearsing. He's saying, Father, I have sinned. I don't even deserve to be your servant. It says he finally woke up, finally came to his senses, finally confessed you know, I thought this way of living would bring fulfillment, but it didn't. I need to go back home. He's going home. And you guys know, if you've been in the church world, Luke 17, the prodigal son, the father sees the son far away. And as this son is being honest before God and himself, coming home saying, 
Father, I have sinned. You know, I, I don't even deserve to be your servant. As he's walking, the father sees him far away, and he, and he recognizes him. Like, I always think, how did he recognize him? Is it the way he walks, you know? Some of you, you have a distinct walk. Did you know that? You didn't know that, but your friends do. They're like, that's John. He has a duck walk. <laughs> anyway, okay. I'm entertaining myself up here, okay? So he sees him, and he says, the father ran. And then he embraced the son. And before the son could even confess, the father embraced them and said, put the robe on. Here's my ring. Now I can tell you all, I can do a whole sermon on this, but the father didn't come like, I don't know, I'm Asian, so I'll talk about Asians, amen? Didn't come and say, hey, what did you do wrong? You know, what did you really do wrong? You know, and if you say, oh, he's like, what do you mean, oh, you know, that's the, you broke my heart. No, the father, when this son was being honest, said, welcome home. And I always tell my church members, especially if there's anyone in this room that feel like God is far, really far. Do you know where God is? If you, if you, if you think you're a Christian and you think God is far, do you know where God is? When you feel like God is far, when I'm praying, I, I feel like God's not listening to my prayers. Nothing's happening. My heart is so hard. God is so far. Do you know where God is when you're like that? He's right behind you. If you would turn around and say, I feel like you're far. My heart is hard. I'm living in sin. If you just turn around and be honest with them, you will realize the Father has always been behind you. How do I know? Because that's the Father's heart. I have three kids. When my kids are doing really well, I don't think about them. It's like, yeah, that's fine, right? But the kid that has the problem... I'm thinking about them, right? I'm like, whoa, what's going to happen in New York? Haven't found the church yet. My, my daughter has a church, so don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you think about that child, and I think that's the father. The one, I, I, when you get to heaven, all right, I think this is what happens. I can't guarantee, but well, let me guarantee, all right? When you get to heaven, you'll find out the times that you think God is the farthest from you was actually the time the Father was nearest to you, saying, confess and come home. Come home. Amen. Getting blessed here by myself. Okay. <laughs> Confession. Thanksgiving. It says... In 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but with everything, uh, with every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. With thanksgiving. There's this, I love this acronym because there's this adoration and a time to confess and say, I want to come home. I want to be honest with you. But there's this moment where you pause and you thank God because he never gives up on you. 
He is closer to you than you would ever think. His son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross for us. He was born as an infant child in the incarnation so that he understood the frailty of human beings. Lord, I want to thank you because you never give up on me. Lord, I want to thank you for who you are. And Lord, I want to thank you for the blessings that I have received. You know, lately I've been really thinking about um, Thanksgiving. And I, I read this, and this has been ringing in my heart uh, so many times. And this is, this is what it says. He uh, says, uh, our capacity of gratitude is not connected with an abundance of resources, but rather with a capacity to notice what it is that we do have. This is expressed powerfully in an African-American prayer of gratitude that the Lord woke me up this morning, clothed me in my right mind, and he didn't have to do it, but he did. I don't know. I, this book that I was reading by Dr. Uh, Paul uh, and on the chapter on Thanksgiving just been ringing in my head. He woke me up this morning, and he clothed me in the right mind. He didn't have to, but he did. Counting blessings, knowing there are things to be thankful, even in hard times. You know, in our consumer mentality, this is really hard because we feel like we deserve better. We deserve more. We, we, we deserve total fulfillment on earth. We have a consumer mentality in where we go to eat and where we go to vacation. And if they don't serve us right, then we get all mad. You know, actually in this book, she goes on to say, have you ever took a plane... And they brought you the right time to the other destination. And in your heart, you were thankful. And you looked at the stewardess and said, thank you. And you, you know, if you see the pilot go, thank you for, I don't know, flying this plane. Now, a lot of times when people serve us, we take it for granted. It's like, I'm the consumer. I deserve that. And believe it or not, we start doing this to God. You want to bless people? <laughs> Thank people for things that you take for granted, okay? So if you're married and your wife cooks or does the dishes or the husband does think or does the laundry, thank them and say, thank you for doing the laundry. Your husband or your wife will go into shock. They're like, what? If somebody drives you, thank you for driving me. Thank the waiter, the waitress. Thank the stewardess. We think in such a matter of complaining, but we need to spend time thanking God for what he has done. You know, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, no, actually a month ago, I actually broke uh, my calf. Uh, I tore my calf muscle. I play soccer in the 50-plus league. I'm not that good, but I'm, I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, not that good, but I'm pretty good. And, and uh, I actually, after COVID, I was thinking of not playing anymore because I had lost my win and my touch. And I was like, oh, man, I don't want to play no more. You know, these other guys were illegally playing during COVID. <laughs> you know, where I didn't go. And, and now I lost my win. I lost my touch. And why am I telling you this? I'm sorry. There's a point, okay? So what happened was I, I was playing and I started getting better getting back my shape and getting back my win. You know, and I was like, whoa, and when, when an old man gets better, that's dangerous, amen? 
because then he thinks he's good, and then he starts doing things that he shouldn't do, okay? And so I'm getting better. I started scoring again, you know, because what happened, right, is that I'm playing soccer with my other guys, and they think I'm pretty good. So when they get the ball, they pass to me. You know, it's like we look at each other, and bam, it's like, give it to Young, because he can do something with it. Well, after COVID, they got the ball. They looked at me. Oh, no. (laughs) Give it to another guy. You know how that feels? Terrible, okay? But they started trusting me, so I thought I was good. And I'm telling you all this story just to say I broke my calf. (laughs) I was in crutches. And I started complaining. God, like, man, you know, why, you know, why, God, why did I get injured and all this stuff? But I can think it in another way, and that is, Lord, you woke me up this morning, and even at the age of 50-plus years, (laughs) you still let me play soccer. Thank you. And it only took three weeks to heal my calf. Thank you. And now I can walk. Thank you. When was the last time you thanked God that you can come to this church, that you can worship him, that you can hear this long sermon? Amen. When you give thanks to the Father, It opens your heart, and it opens the heart of the Father. Lastly, supplication. Again, Philippians chapter 6, chapter 4, verse 6 through 7. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Matthew says, uh, Jesus said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock on the door and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be opened to you. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you, though you are evil, know how to good, uh, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you, uh, to those who ask? 